You're listening to the First Baptist Church of Marble Falls, Texas podcast. To learn more about our church or to watch a video version of this sermon, please visit us online at fbcmf.org. In today's sermon, Senior Pastor Ross Chandler gives us an introduction into our new sermon series titled Rethink Love, where we reevaluate how we look at marriage, singleness, infidelity, and sexuality, all through a biblical lens. Rethink love. Rethink love, everyone. Today we're beginning this uh, new series. And this morning I want to give all of you uh, an introduction to it. What I'd like to do is to kind of set the stage and help you to understand what we're going to be talking about in the next few weeks. And so I want to show it to you. Here are the uh, next few weeks' topics on Sunday morning. Next week, rethink marriage. And then the week after that is rethink singleness and then rethink infidelity, and then rethink sexuality. And we're going to talk about all of it, and, uh, and I want you all to know that traditionally, in churches that I grew up in, pastors never talked about that, ever. Um, it was not appropriate, it was too intimate, it was too uh, personal, and frankly, it just made everyone uncomfortable. And um, there is nothing that is less of a turn on than your preacher telling all of you to go be intimate. Um, and so preachers just would not uh, deal with it. But can, I, can we all agree with, with these three things? Number one, that all four of those things are very, very biblical. Can we, can we start there? That marriage is all in the Bible. Singleness, the Bible talks about singleness. The Bible talks a lot about infidelity. And the Bible talks an awful lot about sexuality as well. Can we agree there? And if the Bible talks about that, then probably we should too. Second thing, can we all agree on this? That our relationships are the most important thing in our life. Everything else in your life can begin to cave. You can get fired from your job. Things go badly. But if you and your spouse and you and your kids and your your relationships are strong, you can make it, right? But if that starts to go south, then even if you're a multimillionaire and everybody thinks that you are great, but if your spouse is in the middle of leaving you and your marriage is not doing well, then it doesn't matter, you're not doing well, right? So if relationships are the most important thing in our life, then it leads to this last thing, and that is, can we also agree that often we are not great at those relationships? There are moments when we are not the husbands that we need to be and that wives, you may not be the wives that God has called you to be either. And case in point uh, about how in our country we don't do a very good job with love and how in our country we are not good with relationships is that I read that uh, there was this hack of a, a website that, was, that is dedicated and the only reason that it exists is to help people who are married to have an affair with somebody else. It's called Ashley Madison. And in that uh, website, anybody can log on if you're married and it will help you the way that eHarmony helps to get people together. This will help other people to have affairs. And if that's not bad in and of itself enough, um, during this recent hack, it was discovered that over 32 million accounts uh, were on this. That's a lot. That is um, a population the size of Texas 
looking for and trying to have affairs and commit adultery. With a population so big as that, that uh, there's a very good chance that with almost 600 people in this room and 300 people in the first service, there's a very good chance that there's somebody here in this room that probably has been on that website or you've been on something very similar. So my point is this, that with that kind of thing going on, um, we are not always good at relationships. And because of that, I don't think it should be off limits for preachers to talk about this kind of stuff. Amen, y'all? Right? Shouldn't be off limits for preachers to talk about this kind of stuff. But as a preacher does talk about it, here is something that that he or she needs to remember, and that is you cannot address all of this stuff if you have a massive amount of problems in, within yourself. Like it'd be very wrong for me to be talking about all of this, and then it comes out next week that my name is on one of those lists. Man, and, and, and y'all hear about that kind of stuff happening all the time, don't you? All the stinking time where a preacher who talked about this kind of stuff and then it comes out and, and, and he is one of the people who's going out and, uh, and, and doing all kinds of things that, that he shouldn't be doing. And so preachers need to talk about it, but also what preachers and Sunday school teachers and deacons and, and all of us, can we just say Christians? Let's just say that. Let's just say Christians need to be careful with all of these things, but it, it can't be in our Sunday school classes and in our Bible studies, these topics cannot be off limits. We really need to talk about them because they're in our eyes. It is a huge temptation for every single person here, and, uh, and it's a big deal. And, and also we need to talk about it because there is not one little aspect of your life that is off limits to God's touch and God's ideal for your life. Not one little part. God speaks into your finances. God speaks into your work and your relationships and your intimacy. Yes, your sexuality. Yes, God speaks and there is not one single part of your life that God doesn't take, flip around, turn upside down and address in his word and in the Holy Spirit. And so, we're going to try and talk about it. And as we do, and as we talk about all of this, will y'all please keep something in mind? Parents, when you have to have the conversation with your kids, and um, you realize how much harder it is for you than it is for them, you know, the, you, you go and there's this intense conversation and, and you're like, oh goodness, this is a lot harder for me than it is for my kids. This is kind of like that for me. This is harder for me than it is for you. And, uh, and, and also, I recognize my own limitations in talking about all of it. In the first worship service, especially, we, 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 had, a, we had a couple that came afterward, and like, you know, one of them has cancer, and the other one is just loving his wife, and they've been married 60 years. And so they come up to me, and they say, what are you going to teach us? about this and in the reality absolutely nothing would you like to preach the sermons and and so some of you really have this kind of thing together and uh and man i'm all i'm doing is uh confirming and affirming your relationship but y'all know what not everybody in this place has it together so well and and we need to deal with it and so if if you're okay with it and if you're ready, say amen. amen. 
All right, let's rethink love. The Bible tells us that God is love, and then he commands us to love other people the same way that he loved us. Now, God's kind of love is very, very different from the world's kind of love. God's kind of love is not something that you're walking along one day and you just kind of trip and you say, I fell in love. The way that you would fall or trip into something, that, that, that's very, very different than God's kind of love. We often talk about love happening to you when the chemistry is right and when you're sitting out here and it's 4th of July and all the fireworks are going off. You're there and you begin to hold pinkies first. And then you move to the hands and oh man, it's just beautiful and all of a sudden the romance and it's just the chemistry is, is there and you look into one another's eyes. It's like you go into the crowded ballroom and, and, uh, and there's the love of your life and your eyes meet and you just know and, and, and it all is working out. Um, did you ever ask someone before you got married uh, did you ever ask your mom or dad or a grandparent or maybe a friend, uh, Dad, how do I know what, if I'm really in love? And here's what they always say. They, they, they said, uh, when you meet the right person, you'll just know. Oh, boy, that really helps a lot, doesn't it? <laughs> no, it, it doesn't. It, it doesn't help at all. In fact, it's a lot more complicated than that. The Bible makes it clear that God's kind of love is not romantic love. It's not it. God's kind of love is something you do deliberately, intentionally. That's love. God's kind of love for us and the kind of love that we're supposed to have for our spouses is not primarily a feeling. It's what, it's what we need to call a covenant. Did you know here in our church, we don't sign marriage licenses anymore issued by the state. We sign what's called marriage covenants. Covenant love is what I'm going to be talking about here. A covenant love is a godly kind of love. It's a Christian love. And in fact, a Christian love oftentimes is in direct opposition to how you feel at the time. You may not always feel like loving, but a Christian love loves even though you don't feel like it. And that's why Jesus... Uh, says, I'm commanding you to love because love is not a feeling. It's in direct opposition sometimes to how you feel. It's a command. Jesus said, my command is that you love one another. Now, y'all, if love was just a feeling, could Jesus say that? Can Jesus command an emotion or a feeling? No. The, it, love is not a primarily an emotional feeling. If love were a feeling or if uh, you could command emotions, then it would have worked when your parents told you, you better get glad and you better be happy when I'm asking you to do this. You're going to do this work and you're going to love every minute of it. That really worked, didn't it? I mean, all of a sudden you, you turned to your parents and you said, I am happy. Yes, thank you for, for, for helping me. Thank you for commanding the, the, this great joy and now I'm overflowing. No, it doesn't, doesn't work that way. You can't work that way. So Jesus commanded this thing called love. And that means love is not primarily a feeling. Um, you can't command it. When Jesus 
commands you to love, it must be something different than an emotion, um, which means that God's love is not something that happens to you. God's kind of love is something that you, that you do. Uh, my old preaching professor told all of us, he said, boys, if you fall into love, then you're gonna fall out of love. You don't fall into these things. Love is not something that just kind of happens. It's, you, you choose it and it's deliberate. It's intentional. And, and I've tried to counsel sometimes with couples, both newlyweds and oldieweds, and they have come and they have said things like, well, we, we used to be in love and now it's just not there anymore. And that's what I'm criticizing. I think that's what the Bible is criticizing as well. Godly love is something that you, that you choose with a covenant with somebody. It takes a lot of hard work and you do it intentionally. You will, you will it to happen. And you grit your teeth and you say, I'm, I'm, I'm gonna do this no matter what. I'm gonna love this person. And you decide what you are gonna be. It means more about you and what you decide than it does about the other person. And the righteous brothers tried to sing about the opposite kind of love. You remember the song, you've lost that love and feeling. Everybody, whoa, that love and feeling. You've lost that love and feeling. Now it's gone, gone, gone. All right, men, whoa, 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 bottom, bottom. Nice. It's a great song. We all loved it when Tom Cruise did it. But you see the problem, right? The problem is when the feeling is gone, 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 the relationship will be gone, gone, gone too. And uh, if you don't want somebody to treat you that way, if you don't want somebody to look at you and say, I just am not into you today. I'm not excited about this today. The feeling is just not there. And for them to say, so I don't care to love you. If you don't want your spouse to treat you like that, then will you please make a covenant to not treat them like that? That you're going to love them no matter how you feel. Now, when I say that God's love is not primarily a feeling, I don't want you to misunderstand. I'm not saying that God's love is, is void of emotion. It's, it, there's emotion all in this. Um, God's love produces emotion. What overflows and comes from God's love is emotion, not the other way around. It's not that um, love flows out of emotion. It's that emotion flows out of love. And here is a great passage to demonstrate this. In John 15, 11, I have told you this. He's talking about loving one another. I've told you so that my, what? Joy, emotion. So that my emotion, joy might be in you. And that your emotion, your joy may be overflowing, complete. The word complete here is, is a word that kind of means overflowing. When you have immense emotion that flows out of love, a kind of covenant love. And when you covenant to love people, no matter what, no matter how you feel, then what will happen is the feeling will come. 
The joy's gonna happen. The romance is going to happen. But romance and joy are something and the emotions that come from love flows out of a covenant love, but not the other way around. Um, Okay, so let's talk about this emotion here for just a second. Why do you suppose that love brings emotion? And if, if a perfect love and if a, a covenant love brings the good emotions like joy and romance, things like that, let, let's reverse it for a second. What do y'all think that counterfeit or messed up or twisted love will bring? Earlier we read First uh, um, John chapter 418, and it said this, that there is no fear, that's an emotion, in love, but perfect love, covenant love, casts out the emotion of fear. So you have two choices. You, you can have covenant love and the emotion that's going to happen with that is joy and romance and intimacy and closeness and all of those things, but if there is another kind of love and it's a twisted love and a bad kind of love, then you're gonna have an emotion with that too, but the emotion that's going to come is, is terror and, and, and fear. Um, real covenant love brings the emotion of joy, but fake love brings the emotion of fear. But it is all emotional. It is highly emotional. Love is going to produce one or the other with you. If you choose in a moment of difficulty with your spouse to not love them unconditionally, and if you are not in a moment of, of, uh, of giving of yourself to them, then what is going to happen is in the middle of that, you're going to have a time of fear. In the middle of that conflict, you're gonna, get to, you're gonna start to be scared. And you might even say things that you wish that you wouldn't have said. Fear is what comes from a twisted kind of love. If you choose to sleep with somebody that you should not sleep with, joy and romance are not going to be the emotions that you get. Fear, fear will be the emotion that you get from that. If you choose to lust over somebody that you shouldn't lust over, fear is what's going to happen because that's not perfect love. It's twisted. And there may be a little bit of excitement that happens just for a little while with twisted love, but what will happen is that kind of excitement is going to turn against you very, very quickly, and you're gonna to start to be very fearful after a very short amount of time in that twisted love relationship. Fear is what's going to dominate you. Um, you're going to be fearful to be completely vulnerable with this other person because it's based on a twisted love and not a covenant love. Fear of being vulnerable, and you should be able to be vulnerable with people. If you go through your life and you're never ever vulnerable and you always have to kind of have a mask and keep a distance from everyone, eventually you're going to wind up an empty shell of a person if you can't ever experience vulnerability. But twisted love will send so much fear into your life that you can't be vulnerable. Twisted love makes people so scared that they're going to be found out, fearful, always checking their cell phones, having to erase stuff all the time. People going onto their computer and, and they're so scared that somebody's gonna find out and let me, let me erase it and your hands are just trembling. Man, that happens. It's fearful. It's, it's twisted love brings an emotion 
And the emotion is called fear. There is a fear of being embarrassed that, that, that I can't, you know, really be with this person in ways that I wish that I could because I'm embarrassed. What if they laugh at me? What if my body is not what it needs to be? What if, all of these fears, fears, fears. What if they turn against me eventually and I'm embarrassed? Also, here's another fear. There's the fear of isolation and loneliness that that twisted love means that this person may not be all that committed to you, and yet you're really into them. And then they turn around and they walk out on you. And you're always scared, what if they leave me? What if they walk out on me? Twisted love brings all of these kinds of fears. And you can't have great intimacy. And that, that man, that's what I want for you. And that's what God wants for you. He wants you to have great intimacy and you cannot have great intimacy when fear is in the way you have to have perfect love covenant love and then fear goes away and whenever there is the absence of fear now you have space for another emotion the emotions of romance the emotions of joy the emotions of intimacy are going to be great because you have space for those things because you have covenant love with one another. Well, let me give a quick disclaimer, though, about covenant love. Covenant love will not keep you out of conflicts and arguments with one another. Um, There are moments of frustration in every successful marriage. Uh, And I want y'all to know that a lot of you may need to communicate and argue a little bit more. Uh, I had a couple that came in. I'm going to tell this several times, I think, because it's just a great story. I had a couple come into the office one day, and they've been married for a long time, and the guy comes in, and he goes, I want you to know, Ross, that we have a great marriage, and that we have never, ever had an argument. I said, wow, that's good. And I looked over at the wife, and I said, is that true? She lowered her head, and she goes, yeah, Yeah, it's true. You see what's going on, don't you? He won't let her have the argument. Anytime she brings up the argument or something that they need to talk about, he leaves the room. Or he says, we're not going to talk about that. We're not going to argue about that. You be quiet, and we're not going to deal with that. And then he has the audacity to come to me and say, we never argue. (laughs) They need to argue. There are things she needs to get off her chest, and there are things he needs to be. Here it come, here's what it comes down to. He's just not a good communicator, and he's so terrified of, of the issues that he rejects her ability to be able to speak and to talk. Y'all, we all have arguments. Now, Megan and I don't. <laughs> we, we have intense moments of fellowship. That's what it's called <laughs> in our house. No, the, of course, we, we, we have them. Um, we've had some, a lot of arguments, and we, we've argued over, over family. Is that, a, is that one for you guys, family? Here's what's happening on my side of the family. She doesn't like it. Let's talk about, let's talk about your family. Um, let's, uh, we, we, let's talk about schedules. Let's talk about, uh, let, let's... Let's have a good discussion here about work and family commitment, arguments, argument. But let me share with you all this. 
There, we've been married over 16 years. There has never been one single argument in all of those years where we have raised our voices and yelled at one another or we have called one another names or when after the argument was over where we went away and I thought, oh man, I, I regret so much calling her that or saying that to her and she has never ever called me anything like that. There's, there's never been a moment in the heat of anything where I said, you are acting like a total witch. Never. Partly I'm too scared um, to, to do that. And uh, I, do, I will have you know that I'm the, the absolute boss of my house, though. The boss. One, one day I had Megan begging me, begging me, man, to get out from under the bed and fight like a man. And uh, but we're good. You know, what, you know what word, I don't know why, there is a certain word that um, I don't like to be called, and I don't, it's not a bad word necessarily, but it just, it, it hurts my feelings. I, if you really want to hurt my feelings, here's what you call me, a jerk. I don't know why, it's not, it's not necessarily a bad word, but there's something about it where if Megan ever said, you, you, you're just a jerk, man, that would just cut me, and, and thank you for never, ever calling me that. And, uh, and I'm not going to call her things either. And so here's the thing, a covenant marriage. A covenant marriage is going to have arguments with one another, and we're going to deal with things. But when we do, I covenant with you that in the middle of this discussion that I'm going to control myself, and I'm not going to hurt you in the middle of it. And please, would you covenant with me the same way, that you can speak your mind you could tell me things, but you're not going to hurt me either. And sometimes you're going to be frustrated with each other, but you can work through it. And covenant love will help you to do that, to not harm each other in the middle of it. And, and when you have a mutual commitment with somebody in this covenant love, it's the most joyful and the most wonderful and the most liberating kind of relationship in the world because you don't have to be afraid. You don't have to be afraid that if you said, I disagree with you, we're not on the same page. Perfect love drives out the fear that if I share my heart and my mind with this person, that she will turn around and say, then I'm leaving you and I'm gonna take the kids with me and we're going to get divorced. Just because I, I, I said these things, no, no, no. You can talk to me and I can talk to you without the fear that you're going to bail. And without the fear, you, you see, perfect love drives out fear. It's gone. And then, in that kind of relationship, I am free to be myself. And, and I can even be vulnerable. And I don't have to worry that somehow you're going to hurt me. And you can be who you are too. And you know, this works at a church level. Um, Whereas a pastor, y'all can put me in a very, very good place if you will commit and covenant to love me in a way that you will never intentionally try to hurt me. You're not going to talk bad about me, and you're not going to try to, to hurt me because you covenant, and I'm going to covenant with all of you in that too. Covenant love is very different from the world's kind of love. Now, let me tell you something. There are a lot of people in this world, and they will not make that kind of commitment to you most of the people in this world, if they don't like how you look, if they don't like how you act, and if they don't feel like it, they're not going to work for your best interest. That's the norm 
of relationships in our world. And, and if you do something that they don't like, they will justify hurting you and harming you. And then once they have hurt you, then they're going to pat themselves on the back and say, I was justified in hurting that person. And they'll, they'll feel okay about it. There's not any remorse or any guilt. That's normal in the kind of relationships that we see in the movies and all over our world. That's what's the norm. Only, only Christian love is supposed to be abnormal. Very different from that. Y'all, we're not going to be the norm. And, and let's say that we applied this, this concept of a covenant love at a, a, a macro church level. Um, there was a man named Martin Copenhager, and he started talking about this kind of love. And so here's his quote. He said this. Is there someone in this church? Don't say amen here. Is there someone in this church you can't stand? Is there someone who has betrayed you or disappointed you or offends you or angers you? Keep going. Someone you don't want to have anything to do with or just grates on you. Is there, if there is not yet such a person here for you, you need to draw closer. <laughs> because it is when we have encountered people that we would not normally choose to associate with it is then that we have the chance to become more than just another pleasant gathering of congenial people. It is then that you have the chance to become a what? Ah, church. Covenant love within a church. Choosing to love. That is the power of God. That is the power of God saying, do you see the man on the cross? Do you see how he loves you and how he bleeds and how he gives his life? Do you see how he t allows himself to be tortured on your behalf? Imagine for God to take that love and put it deep within your own heart to where you're able to love the way that Jesus loves. That is covenantal love. And then the overflow of that is, is joy and romance and intimacy and all of these things in a way that counterfeit love could never do. When counterfeit love brings an emotion of fear, covenant love brings the emotion of joy and romance. And so I, I want to finish with this, that in this great, great story of love, that Jesus' kind of love is not, is not selfish love. It's a, Jesus' love is a fill them up fill them up kind of love, not a fill me up, drain them dry. Fill me up, but drain them dry as they're doing it. Listen to several scriptures here as it talks about fill them up, not fill me up, fill them up. God says, love each other as I have loved you. Greater love is no man than this, than the kind of love that lays down his life for his friend. This is how God showed his love among us, that he sent his son to die on the cross so that we might have life. This is love. Not that we loved God, but that God loved us and he sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for, for the world. Do you hear it? Over and over again. Fill him up. Fill him up. Not fill me up. Over, God says it over and over again. It is an undying, undying kind of love. 
You heard the story about the two fiancés about to be married and they're sitting on a park bench and he has his arm around her and he says, sweetheart, I just want you to know that I love you with all of my being. And she said, really? And he said, absolutely. And she said, well, then would you die for me? And he thought for a minute and he said, no, I, I wouldn't die for you. And she's kind of offended by that. And she says, well, why not? And he looked at her and he tried to get all of his romantic uh, moments up and he said, because darling, mine is an undying love. <laughs> ah, an undying cheesy love. But you know what? An undying love really is what God has for us. So much of our world's love is, is selfish. It is an I'm empty, I'm empty, and so I'm going to find somebody out there who can please me and fill me up. That's, I'm empty, I'm looking for somebody who will fill me. Is there a woman, is there somebody who will, who will give to me? And there's a rap song that says, come on baby, make my day. I'm gonna use you up and throw you away. And you say, man, those kids listen to an awful lot of trashy music. You know what? Some of the songs that we listen to, they may not sound trashy, they sound really beautiful, but they still have this fill me up, drain them dry kind of lyric to it. One of my favorite songs is by John Denver. It's called Annie's Song. Um, you fill up my senses like a, um, a night in the forest, like a mountain in springtime, like a walk in the rain. You fill up my senses, it gets to the climax, and says, you fill up my senses, come, fill me again. Did you hear it? Drain them dry, fill me up. It's not what a marriage is supposed to be about. It's not what covenant love is. People will stand before me and they're about to get married, and I share it with them on that day Will you promise to love each other? Covenant love for better or for worse in cancer and in health, in heart disease and in health. When your hair falls out and when you're beautiful, when you're not very happy, when you're sad, Do you promise to love one another in adversity when you are working nonstop and you're never coming home trying to put food on the table? Will you love me? Will you love me in adversity and prosperity and to be true and loyal as long as you both shall live? Would you say, I do? And they say, I do. And then a few weeks later, it's all about, you meet my needs. And the other person says, no, 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 you haven't met my needs in a long time, so why would you think I would meet your needs? And they begin to drain each other dry. And here is the ultimate danger when you are drained dry. And it is that when the conflict comes, and you know that the conflict is coming, if you are here today and you have been drained completely dry, 
because your other your spouse is all about fill me up drain you dry then when the conflict comes somebody who whose love tank is on empty will not be able to survive the conflict your the conflicts and the arguments will kill a couple whose love tanks are on empty because they've been draining each other dry but when your love tank is on full and you have been pouring into each other, and your love has been a covenant love where you said, it's not about me, I, I'm, I'm giving myself to you. When, when it's a godly love, and you say, I am not looking for you to make my life better. I am in this, darling, so that I can make your life better. I'm pouring myself into you. Then that person's love tank is going to be on full, and when the conflicts come, you will be able to stand and your marriage won't crash. It's going to be fulfilling. And let me tell you, men, the romance will be there. The intimacy, the love, the joy, all of these things, the emotion is going to come when you pour yourself into them. At a church level, uh, when people tell me, Ross, I love our church. And I'm so glad that I'm a member here. Let me say that I, I'm, I'm thankful. Nothing could make me happier than when people say they love our church. But occasionally when somebody says to me, Ross, I love our church, I have to wonder what they mean by that. When you say you love your church, do you mean that you love the preaching? Do you mean that you love the music? Do you mean that you love the Sunday school or youth? Or, what do you mean by that? Because if it is only how the church is filling you up, filling you up. I, I'm sorry, I, I just don't know that that kind of love will last. But if you mean by, when, when you say I love my church, if what you mean by that is, is I'm sacrificing and I'm, and I'm giving and, and I love what I am bringing to this, then that will last. And it will be great because it's in giving and it's in pouring your life out for someone else that you're loving like Jesus Christ. And that's when you're going to find the real joy and when you will find romance. But y'all, if it's just a matter of loving what you're getting out of someone, it's not going to last very long because eventually they're going to let you down and your emotions aren't going to be there. And guess whose fault it will be? Man, it'll be yours. Don't set up your spouse for failure. Don't set up people for failure. You decide who you are going to be, and you give a committed, covenantal kind of love. I know, I know that I know that when Jesus Christ was talking about loving, he is not talking about a drain them dry kind of love. He's talking about a fill them up, fill them up kind of love. And so this morning, and for the next five weeks, would you commit with me to rethink love? You've been listening to the First Baptist Church of Marble Falls, Texas podcast. Be sure to check back each and every Monday for new sermons by visiting us online at fbcmf.org.